1950s Science Fiction Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. Episode Review, Dimension X. Hello and welcome back to the 1950s Science Fiction Podcast. I have taken some time off from creating podcasts for the past month. In the interim, I worked on an article for Vocal Media, a book review of the Michael Morlock novel, The Final Program. You can find it on my website link on the podcast app page. Be sure to check it out. In today's show, I will be reviewing two episodes from the classic science fiction radio show, Dimension X. The series was the precursor to X-1. The NBC radio network broadcasted the show in the early 50s. The first episode was called Outer Limit and the first episode of the series. The second story, A Logic Named Joe, is based on a short story by Murray Leinster. Now on to the show. Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension X! Can you predict what will come in 100 years? Or in 10? Or in the next minute? Some people think they can. Nuclear scientists, mathematicians, astronomers, biologists. They'll predict the shape of the future. Why? Because they make the future. Because they see beyond the known dimensions of time and space. Into the unknown. Dimension X. Now in time to 1965. We're on a vast concrete runway set in the desert of the southwest. A giant metal ship stands before us, prow pointed for the stars. And in five minutes, the signal will flash and it will tear up through the atmosphere to the outer limit. Outer Limit. The first episode is Outer Limit, aired on April the 8th, 1950. Written by Graham Dorr and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. The story, set in the future year of 1965, 15 years ahead of the current time, sits an experimental rocket ship about to take off from a launch pad in the desert. Steve, the test pilot, is about to climb aboard. Steve is a seasoned professional with many test flights to his credit, and the supervisor stresses how important the test flight is. The flight controller says that once he reaches the outer limit, he has only 10 minutes of fuel left until the point of no return, hence the name of the episode. Also, an atomic bomb test in the Pacific, scheduled at the same time, is a cause for concern. The rocket ship lifts off with only one slight delay. Flight Control is told about Steve's wife's admission into the hospital due to being in labor. However, Steve doesn't know about his wife's condition, and the countdown proceeds. The flight takes off, and everything else goes normal. Steve gains maximum altitude and reaches the outer limit. Once there, he sees a metallic object and decides to investigate. Steve heads toward the unknown aircraft, but loses radio contact after being warned of low fuel. Steve's rocket ship intercepted by the strange aircraft, is placed on board. 
he finds himself looking at the control room of the alien vessel and is uncertain about his surroundings. A voice starts talking to him by telepathy. It is a communication from an alien who is somewhere aboard the ship. The alien warns Steve about the upcoming atomic test and stresses how dangerous allowing the bomb to detonate. The explosion would destroy the planet by setting off a chain reaction to a barrier around the atmosphere. It is a means to contain humanity from expanding outside the Earth and was erected by the aliens. Steve is permitted to leave the alien ship and is given a warning message for his superiors. Steve returns to the base and is then immediately questioned by his supervisor. Supervisor asks Steve how the rocket ship stayed aloft for 10 hours with only 10 minutes of fuel. Steve recounts his encounter with the alien spacecraft. However, his boss doesn't believe him. With the cooperation of Steve, the base psychiatrist examines the story while under the influence of hypnotic drugs. The doctor dismisses the story as an hallucination, but Steve insists it's true. Steve is concerned about the upcoming atomic test and believes it would cause the extinction of the, of the Earth. Should the bomb explode, the barrier put in place by the aliens would destroy the planet. Steve keeps on insisting he is right and not imagining the encounter. The doctor insists that he take some time to rest Steve goes along at first, but runs out to his rocket ship and threatens to explode it. The resulting explosion would destroy everything within a five-mile radius of the base, himself included. Steve demands the atomic test be halted and tells his boss to call Washington. The flight controller makes an emergency phone call to the government official in charge of the test. He gets through, and the order to stop the test is approved. Steve gets out of the rocket ship and surrenders himself to the doctor. He agrees to get some rest and is led away to a barracks. Once Steve is gone, the flight controller tells the doctor about what happened. He pretended the call went through and bluffs Steve from destroying the rocket. The atomic test went on as scheduled, not terminated. Now the listener is left with the question of what would happen if the bomb does go off. What would happen if it did? and cause the destruction of life on the planet. I thought the first episode of Dimension X was a great story. The episode was well played by the actors and presented good drama. The show made creative sound effects conveying a sense of realism throughout the story. As for predicting the future, it got a few things wrong and some right. The U.S. stopped above-ground atomic testing before 1965. The last above-ground test was in 1962. Steve Boss tells him that at at least 20 countries have atomic weapons and that he should not worry about the upcoming event. In reality, only five nations had atomic bombs in 1965. Even today, only eight countries have atomic bombs. The only thing they got right on the show, video calling. The flight controller uses a video phone to call Washington to stop the test. He even dialed several people in the process. Overall, this is a good episode of the series. I would recommend anyone interested in the series to start at Outer Limit because it sets the mood for the show. After all, it is the first, ep- first show. The plot of this episode was common theme at, at the time. The quarantine of humanity due to atomic testing. The plot device would, would be in other stories from the same period. 
aliens would create a barrier around the planet to protect themselves from primitive humans who were still warlike. You have just heard The Outer Limits by Graham Dorr, an adventure in time, space, and the unknown dimension X. Now, about next week, have you ever heard of the Mark III? The amazing electronic brain at Harvard that instantly solves the most complicated scientific problems. Suppose you had a mechanical brain like that in your house. A robot that was always at your service. So that you could just sit with folded hands and relax the rest of your life. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Perfect. That's what they thought when it happened in the year 2006. But they were wrong. Terribly wrong. How? I'll tell you next week. Tonight's story, transcribed on Dimension X, The Outer Limit by Graham Dorr, was adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were Joseph Julian as Steve, Wendell Holmes as Hank, and Joe DeSantis as Major Donaldson. Your host is Norman Rose. Music was by Albert Berman. Sound designed by Sam Monroe. Edward King directed. Tomorrow, here's Sam Spade. Now it's Truth or Consequences on NBC. A logic named Joe. Next episode I'll discuss is the 13th show of the series, A Logic Named Joe. The episode is based on a short story by Murray Linster and was published in Outstanding Stories in March of 1946. A Logic Named Joe, printed, printed under his real name, William F. Jenkins, is about a logic repairman named Ducky. Ducky is the nickname of the repairman, and he is having a difficult time dealing with the one logic that is different from the rest. The Dimension X presentation of a logic named Joe was broadcast on the NBC radio network on July the 1st, 1950. Before the opening intro into Dimension X, the broadcast is interrupted by a breaking news alert about North Korean military forces invaded South Korea and we're bombing the country. We delay the start of this program to bring you a special bulletin. From the NBC newsroom in New York, truckloads of U.S. fighting men are rolling north from Tajan, Korea, to reinforce South Korea's battered army, which still holds Suwon and its vital airstrip. The first American ground troops flown in from Japan, they're now approaching the combat zone. Meanwhile, the North Korean communists report that American planes have bombed their capital of Pyongyang three times today. Keep tuned to your NBC station for the later news. Program. Now.
tonight's venture into the world of tomorrow. A most unusual story about a logic named Joe and a man named Frank and of how he saved civilization. It was on the third day of August that Joe came off the assembly line. On the fourth, Lorene came into town. And that afternoon, I saved civilization. And how do I save civilization? I save it by keeping Joe down in a cellar. Sometimes you are listening now Joe to a voice from the future. The voice of Frank Caldwell, head serviceman for the Logics Corporation, makers of the machine that does everything for you. Well, nearly everything, anyway. In the year we speak of, 1974, the electronic logic sets were working so well that life was soft indeed for repairman Frank Caldwell. That is, until that fatal day of August the 3rd, when suddenly the logics began doing everything for their users and doing it too well. The story starts with the narration from Ducky about he saved the world. He explains how it all began when he had to explain how a logic worked for an interesting client, despite the fact he wasn't a salesman. Ducky demonstrates how logic operates and how to use the device. The description sounds extremely familiar once you hear the sales dialogue. You would think that this is a spot-on prediction of the future. Wow! Listen to this clip. Well... The gentleman we spoke to first said he had to leave in a hurry. Oh, he did, huh? Well, I understand you're not acquainted with logics, Mr. Kralanovich. Yeah, that's right. We just moved to the city. My wife, she saw that everybody else had a logic, and you know how women are. You bet, you bet. Well, you can't get along without a logic in this day and age, Mr. Kralanovich. Look it, I got a snake. Want to see Will it? Will you shut up that... Uh, yeah, now, about the logic. Yeah. Here, I'll plug one in here. There, now. You see, the logic looks kind of like an old-fashioned television set, only it's got keys instead of dials. Hmm. Now, if you want to talk to a friend, you just punch the number of his logic. Like making an old-fashioned phone call. Except you not only hear him, but you see him, too, on this viewing screen here. Now, of course, that's not the important feature of these things. Oh? Now, uh, suppose you want to ask a question. Uh, A question? Like, uh, what to take for a sore throat? Or who won the American League pennant in 1911? Just turn on the logic. Then you punch the question key, and you ask, like this. Who was the first president of the United States? George Washington. You see? I already knew that. Well, that was just a sample. Oh. Well, I got a little store. Will it keep books for me? It'll keep your books, record your contracts, serve as a filing system, and check up on what happened to your lawyer's last client. Anything. Say, they're really something, these things. 10,000 services and information sources in one. Read our advertising. Well, what I want to know, Mr. Caldwell, how do these logics work? You saw that big building across the street? Sure. Well, that's one of the relay tanks. Now, there are a dozen of them around the country, all hooked up together. And there's a data plate in one of those tanks for every fact in creation. You mean those relays know everything? If there's something they don't know, the technicians are busy making a relay play play for it right now. The logic integrates the facts in the tank and gives you the answers. Hey, you. Can I ask this thing how to make dart poison? How to make what? 
dart poison like in Africa. I could shoot the darts from my pea shooter. Oh, well, maybe... I think maybe we better not get one of these things. Well, that's okay, Mr. Kalanovich. The logic won't tell you about no dart poison, see? Bet it will. I'm gonna try it. Hey, how do you make dart poison? Public policy forbids this service. Uh, what'd it do that for? On account of some little brat, on account of some... Children might ask things that ain't good for them. Listen, I don't like this here one. I want that one over there. They're all alike, kid. I want that one. If I can't have that one, I'm going to hold my breath till I'm dead. Well, I got lots of time. It's no use, Mr. Caldwell. You might as well give him the one he wants. But, kid, they're so much alike. Even I can't tell them apart. I can, and I want Joe. Joe? Who's Joe? Oh, I guess he means the logic, Mr. Caldwell. He has to think up a name to call everything. You should hear the names he calls me. Not till I'm 21, I promised mother. Okay, so we call him Joe. But what makes you think Joe's any different from the rest? He looks different somehow. Don't be silly, them things are all alike. The one ten thousandth of an inch. Just the same. I'll bet he'll teach me how to make dart poison. Okay. Once the demonstration is over, the client purchases the device. Ducky ensures the client that if Logic can't give any harmful advice, he explains how closely monitored Logic's are so no information that would lead to any unlawful acts is transmitted. Later during the day, Ducky is off from work and playing cards with his friends. Things start to get interesting. During the game, one of the players uses a Logic to call home but gets a strange message instead. The device announces a new and improved service for Logics Incorporated. Now, this stirs the man's curiosity, and they decide to ask it a question. One man asks how to kill his wife. The machine gives instructions about poisoning her with chocolate ice cream. Announcing new and improved logic service. Your logic is now equipped to give not only consultive, but directive advice. If you want to do something and don't know how to do it, ask your logic. After the card game ends, Ducky proceeds to his supervisor at Logics Incorporated. He pleads with his boss to shut down the logics. Ducky, Ducky's boss explains why the logics cannot be deactivated because everyone is so dependent upon it. The devices. Ducky's boss dismisses the inquiry at the card game as a joke. Ducky's, Ducky asked a logic about what could kill a supervisor. A similar set of instructions is spoken. The supervisor listens to the logic's explanation but dismisses it again. Just then, the supervisor's wife calls and says she's made his favorite dessert for dinner. The dessert has a recipe created by a logic. This frightens the supervisor. Now he thinks his wife is out to kill him. You kidding? We can't shut down the company, and you know it. Logics do all the computing, bookkeeping, filing, and recording of contracts for every business in the country. They handle all television programs, personal calls, weather forecasts, employment notices. I know that. Wake up. If we shut down the logics, we go back to a civilization we've forgotten how to run. Yeah, but the point is, boss, they're now giving out information on murder. And no telling what else. Well, we'll just have to find out why and fix it. Meantime, there's nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about? Of course not. You've asked these questions for a gag. Nobody's going to ask them seriously. 
What you need is a little faith in human nature. At this point, the supervisor tells Ducky to go out and try to fix the problem. When Ducky goes out in public, all kinds of chaos ensues. The lodges give advice on committing a crime and how to get away with it, information on your personal life, and cause mayhem. Ducky isn't sure what to do. He gets with a co-worker and decide, tries to fix the circuits, but it doesn't work. Ducky decides to go home to his family amid the crisis. While he is having a conversation with his wife, he realizes there is a solution to the logic problem. Ducky goes to the residence of the owner who bought Joe from him. He asks the owner to see the logic amid being hunted by the police. The police have orders to shut down Logics Incorporated due to the problems the company has caused. Ducky decides to ask Joe a few key questions and concludes that this unit was the only one that malfunctioned. A logic named Joe is removed just as the police arrive to arrest Ducky. This episode, Dimension X, is a classic for its style and presentation. It was performed in a tongue-in-cheek form of comedy, which was different from the episode Out of Limit, which was, which was dramatic and edgy. The show featured an excellent cast for the presentation, and the story was well adapted for the radio dramas of the period. It's also considered a classic for the predictions of future technology depicted in the story. The rise of home computing and sending information via the internet was envisioned when computer technology was in its infancy. I first read the story back in the 80s while in high school. I did recognize that the logic was a personal computer and they were interfacing with other computers at the time. A logic named Joe was one of many short stories republished in a book edited by Isaac Asmanoff. One of the things I did find amusing in the story was the voice of the logic itself. It reminded me of the radio spot for the website AskJeeves.com, advertised as the Internet Butler. You would type in a question at the website and get an instant answer. The site was renamed Ask.com and is a search engine. If you want to listen to the entire episodes of Dimension X, you can find them at archive.org or at relicradio.com. I downloaded both episodes of Dimension X from the Internet Archive site and use audio clips for this podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I hope to have another episode out soon. Thanks for listening, and feedback is welcomed by voice message on anchor.fm, and you can follow me at Twitter at edwardgerman3, or email me at utcgrad97 at gmail.com. That is Twitter, edwardgerman3, and email utcgrad97. 97 at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening.